We get the uh, pleasure, I get the pleasure of um, getting to introduce you to my father who's going to come and uh, preach to us this morning. But as he's coming up, I also want um, to, to bring River Breedlove up. And, and y'all probably weren't there for it, but um, a, a few weeks ago, River was um, baptized. And, and when he was baptized, Dad, can you grab that mic for me? When he was baptized, before he was baptized, he, he quoted John 14, 1 through 6 from memory um, for all of us. And I just, I really didn't want y'all to miss it. River, can I say that real quick and make sure it's on? Perfect. Um, and so River is going to, before dad preaches on this passage, he's going he's gonna, to um, bring the word for us. There right to recite for you, John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Thank you, River. Well, recognizing our graduating seniors and hearing River quote God's word for God's people, it, it doesn't get any better than this. Our hearts are overflowing with gratitude to him for his mercy and grace toward us and our children. To know he is faithful all the days of our lives. When he first spoke introducing himself in a very special way to Moses, he said, the Lord, he passed by and Moses saw him and he said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That's who God is. He's never changed, never will change. The same yesterday and today and forever. And there isn't any higher calling that any of us as parents or grandparents have than to train our children in the ways of God. These words which I command thee this day, speaking of the scripture, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them. When thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. All day long, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what's going on, because it's in your heart, God wants his word to come from your mouth that he might use his word to make his eternal difference in the lives of your children. When they see you doing it, when they hear you doing it, when they see how much your life leans upon God through his word, then they catch it. This is important. I need to learn from this. There aren't any greater things you can do for your children than 
to let them see how important God's Word is to you and to let them catch you on your knees in a prayer closet praying for them. It just doesn't get any better than that. And then for dads, the ten hardest words in the English language, dads, I am sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? By the time John was 25 or so, he began to get that. I had to practice it. And I still do. We never outgrow our need to forgive one another. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Above all things, love each other deeply because love covers over the multitude of sins. There are many blessings that come to the life of one who um, is called of God um, to serve as a pastor for God's people. As I grew up when I was River's age up until I was 22 years old, the thought of being a pastor literally never once entered my mind. I was too shy. Uh, I could not imagine being here right now. Uh-uh. But other reasons too. I wasn't blessed to know a pastor. I, I was saved when I was 10. I knew one that day. But never did I have a conversation with one until I was well into college but God began to get my attention and he works but one of the blessings getting to be a part of marriage ceremonies letting couples understand that the husband wife relationship speaks concerning Christ and the church and how God intends for every one of his married people to be witnesses through the way that they re relate husband to wife, wife to husband, as Christ relates to his church, as we who are the church relate to Christ. It's, it's an exciting thing to be a part of, of that time in people's lives. But there's another way that's most important that few people would initially understand is a blessing to a pastor. But when the times of deepest grief come, when those whom you love as their pastor or family members or dearest brothers or sisters in Christ are hurting and they don't have words to express how deep their pain is because someone whom they love has been taken from them and is now uh, gone, they hurt. Just like Jesus' disciples hurt when he told them first that he was going to die and then, then on the cross and then be raised on the third dead, that day, they didn't understand. And now he was telling them just now and just before this in the end of John chapter 13 that he was going away and where, they were, where he was going, they couldn't yet come. They didn't understand that. It didn't make sense to them. 
They were thinking from a worldly point of view. They were thinking from their own strength, what they could do. They were thinking about how good it had been to walk with him these last three years and about how consistent he had been in teaching them the truth of God and the miracles that they had seen him do. And in their minds, that they had it all figured out that he was about to establish the kingdom of God right here, right now, upon this earth. They didn't understand. Jesus had something better in mind. Everything in this world is passing away. <laughs> Everything in this world is passing away. <laughs> One of the first times I recognized that, Janet, my sister, is here, and uh, we grew up with a, a daddy who was a baker in Mount Pleasant. He and his brother had a bakery in Mount Pleasant, and for a time, another one with two other brothers in Longview, and... Uh, Daddy worked hard from 4 o'clock in the morning till about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, six days a week. He was a very hard-working man in that bakery. And we as his children spent a lot of time there. On Sunday afternoons after church, we would, we'd come to the bakery and he'd say, there comes my pie-sacking family. It was time to sack the pies. 400 dozen on Sunday, 300 Monday through Friday, but 400 on Sunday. You had to work on Sunday because the stores were all closed on Sunday. So the bakery had to replenish those stores on Sunday for, or, or on Monday. So it all was made. Daddy worked hard. But there came a time when Daddy sold the bakery because it was time for him and his brother to retire. And a couple of years later, that bakery was torn down. We had literally grown up in that bakery, and all of a sudden, it's just a parking lot. And I tell you, as a, a young man just married, we were newlyweds, going there in Mount Pleasant and driving into that parking lot, tears came down my, my face because of what I was missing there in that place. It just didn't seem real that that which had been so much a part of me could be gone. But all of a sudden, it began to dawn in my heart, this is a picture, John, of everything that's in this earth. There isn't anything here that's not going to one day pass away. Even the elements are going to be dissolved. Everything's gone, going. We're not meant for here. We have a far greater calling. We have a far, far greater uh, purpose. We have a far greater destiny, and Jesus had that in mind. His disciples didn't understand. Peter, Lord, I'll die for you. I can go with you. I'll die for you. Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to have denied me three times. Jesus wasn't surprised by that. He knows all of us in our frailty, in our sinfulness, he knows that apart from him, we can do nothing. He wants us to get it. He wants us to recognize just how dependent upon him we are. He wants us to live in utter dependence upon him. So when these disciples are hurting so bad, he speaks words to them that he also speaks to grieving families gathered around a gravesite. 
The words that Jesus spoke to comfort his disciples then, he still speaks saying, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Whither I go, you know, and, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Let not your hearts be troubled. It's not a fun thing to have a troubled heart. Something needs to be done about it. Something has been done about it. And his name is Jesus. This is why he came. He came to give us victory over sin and over death and over the grave. He came to give us life that is eternal. He came to take us to a place that will never pass away. He came to take away this passing worldly vision in which we're just so entrapped all the time and to give us this heavenly vision that endures forever and ever and ever. He came to help us to see from God's heavenly perspective. And not just from the passing perspective of this fallen world that troubles our souls, our hearts, so very, very much. I shared earlier, and I'll share again, I, I preach, but I also ask you to pray for me. I have a very, very meaningful prayer that I would ask you to pray for me. You can retire from that for which you were hired. You cannot retire from that for which you were bought with a price. I know that it's no longer God's time for me to be a pastor in a pulpit Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. If you could live with us and see the prayers that my wife has to pray to let me be here right now, you'd understand she couldn't make that either. It's, a, it's quite a calling, but God moves us on from one way of serving him to other ways. The truth is that I am freer today than I've ever been in my life to be like my Lord. And there isn't anything in my heart that I desire so much as to let him make me more like him. He literally never took a step that the father didn't tell him to take. His disciples could say, let, let, let's go to the festival. And he'd say, my time hadn't come. Usually when I read those words in the Bible, I think about his time for the cross. But he was talking about his time for anything others were wanting him to do. He was so dependent upon the Father in heaven that literally he never took one step, but that the Father had led him to make that step. 
He never did one thing, but that the Father wasn't doing that thing through him. And he never spoke one word that he first hadn't heard the Father say that the Father wanted to speak through him. Literally, that's how your Lord lived as he walked on this earth. And he wants us to become more like him all the time. He wants us so to relate to one another that when someone is in your presence, that they become more aware of him than they are of you. He wants you to learn how to so pay attention to the person before you. So listen to what they're saying. Not just listen to their words, but ask God to show you their hearts. And at the same time, be like Chris Legg and be able to do more than one thing at a time. But listen to God while you're listening to, to others. Listen to God while you're listening to others that you might hear what God wants you to speak. Not your opinion, not your ideas, but what God wants said to the one that's right there before you so often with a troubled heart needing to hear God. And that's my prayer. When I was a young man, God told me that he wanted me to love him and love people and help people to love him and love one another and help people to see that God's word makes a difference in their everyday life. As I walked with him a little longer, he didn't take from that. He never has, not till this moment. But he added to it saying, I want you to reach out to people who are in deep water with the living water, Jesus, that they might come and walk with him beside the still water. I lived a few more years, and he told me, you're moving toward a new season in life this season. And he said, I'm going to give you another verse, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakens me morning by morning, literally. He wakens me morning by morning to hear as one being taught that I might speak a word to him that's weary. That's my prayer. My prayer request. Please pray that God would allow me in whatever days of life, years of life he gives me to be used to help speak his word to those who are weary, one-on-one, -on -one, here and there, just in the way they need it most. That's what God wants to do through me, but that's also what God wants to do through you. He wants us to so grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we will overflow with his presence so that others will be aware of him as we speak, hearing from him, the words he wants spoken. One of the things that I love the most about being at South Spring Baptist Church is that this is a place I can grow. Jane and I prayed before we ever knew our son was going to be here that God would one day lead us in retirement to a place where we could keep growing in him. That's important. There's a danger as you grow older to think, I've arrived I know everything I need to know, thank you. Uh-uh. When you're green, you're growing. When you're ripe, you know it all. 
you're beginning to rot. You'll stink up the place. Green and growing is at the heart of what we need to pray. Now, only Jesus can do that in us. If we'll get to John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. But I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. But apart from me, a branch cut off from the vine, you can do nothing. We need him. Jesus is the answer for our troubled hearts. It's why he came to this earth. It is so very difficult. There is so much trouble in this world. It is so dark. It is so dreary. It is so fallen. We are so troubled in it all. Is there any hope? Yes. Jesus. 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 That's why he came. He came to win a victory that only he could win. No one else in all the world could win it for us. Only Jesus could win that victory for us. And that's why he left heaven and came to earth to do what only he could do as he died in our place upon a cross to take our sins away that we might enter God's heaven at his invitation. We're there because he wants us to be there. John 17, 24 teaches you that. That's the reason you'll be there, because he wants you there. Thank you, Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Belief is at the heart of what God wants for his child. The last time I stood here, it was from John three sixteen mostly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants his children to believe. It's at the heart of how we relate to him. Without faith, Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, it's a hard question because it's so troubling to ask of yourself, what is it that I seek with all my heart? What is it that I want more than I want anything else? God wants you to want him more than you want anything else. He wants you to seek him and his kingdom first, his righteousness first, and all these other things will be added unto you. But the very first thing, the priority of life, is seeking the one who is God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You believe in God, Jesus said to his disciples. Believe also in me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all, and no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, I I grew up hearing that word in the King James Version, and I was wondering about it until last week when Chris preached and talked about the dimensions of heaven and what the material is that heaven's made out of. And when he was doing that, there wasn't any doubt about it. Any room that's there has to be a mansion that is exceeding abundantly above anything any of us could ever ask or think. And no mind has thought, no ear has heard, neither has entered into the heart of any man what God has prepared for those that love him. It's a mansion. It's real. Heaven is more real than right here, right now. This is all passing away. That which is there, it's eternal. Some way, somehow, God is wanting to take me on, take you on from being in chains, incarcerated to the thought patterns of this old world and set us free to see from heaven's perspective. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't like that, if it weren't, if, if it weren't so, I would have told you. Jesus Christ does not lie. If it weren't so, if it weren't that real, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, initially he's talking about going to the cross. He has to go by way of the cross to the resurrection, to the ascension, to being in heaven, to ever living to make intercession for us and and there preparing a place for us. All of that has to happen. But it starts with that cross. There isn't any way that my sins can be forgiven or your sins forgiven or the sins of any person on this earth forgiven but that the Son of God left heaven and came to earth to die for our sins on that cross. That's why he came. There wasn't any way that anybody or anything was going to hinder him from what he was committed to do as he spoke these words to his disciples. No one could hinder him. He was in charge. He knew what Judas was going to do when Judas went to betray him. He told him, do it quickly. The time had come. It hadn't been before, but now the hour has come. Jesus knows that time has come. He is in charge. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays, Father, if there be any way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Father, glorify thy name. He said, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. He knew what it meant to have a troubled soul. Why would the soul of Jesus be troubled? He's the only one who ever walked on this earth who never once sinned. Not once. 
Never once sinning, Jesus Christ had never experienced in his life the utter pain that's there when you feel separated from God. But on that cross, for the first and the only time, he would feel that separation from God because he was going to bear not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world upon himself and feel that darkness that came inside out. Separated from God, now is my soul troubled. That's what the trouble was about. What shall I say? Save me from this hour? No. For this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Nothing could stop him from what, that which he had come to do. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That, whether, that where I am, there you may be also. Again, he doesn't lie. I will come again. There are four days like no other. Three of them have already come. One of them is yet to be. Do you like it when you get to be home with your family for the holidays? And everybody gathers around you? Right, sister? Mm -hmm. Do you like it when it's your turn at work to have a day off where you don't have to go into work that day? Do you like it when those few days come when you get to sleep in? Do you like it when um, your best friend says to you, I've got a promise for you. Your best friend. Well, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't stay home for Christmas? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't take off his work on Good Friday? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't sleep in on Easter Sunday morning? And aren't you glad that Jesus Christ has made you a promise that he is coming again? I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Those who have died in Christ, who've been buried, their bodies buried, they're asleep in him. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died for us and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. They're already there. Their body's here, the remains, the dust, the ashes. But they, the spiritual life is already with him in heaven. And when he comes back, he will bring them with him. Then the body will rise and join with the spirit in the air. And then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But the moment that the believer is absent from the body, the believer is present with the Lord. Psalm 116 verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's the moment he welcomes us home to be with him in his heaven forever. It's a celebration like no other. Whither I go, you know, and the way you know. They knew, the disciples did, they just didn't yet know that they knew because the light hadn't yet dawned. We're going to get in later in John 14 and then again in John 16 to Jesus teaching about the Holy Spirit who reminds us of everything that, who, who leads us into all truth and reminds us of everything that Jesus said. He brings it alive to us. The disciples already knew, they just didn't know that they knew whether he went and the way he went, the way they were to go. Lord, Thomas said, we know not whether thou goest, how can we know the way? These are real human beings walking with Jesus on this earth. The Spirit had not yet given them the light that he would one day give them. They were hurting, they were fearful, they were frightened, they could not understand. Lord, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the way. My little sister is here. She, she was 10 years old. She's 12 years younger than I am. I was 22. She was 10 when I preached my first sermon. I went to my pastor and said, I, I think God wants me to go to seminary. He said, then you'll have to preach for us. We have to license you to preach before you can go to seminary. Well, I'm going to seminary to learn to preach. I don't know how to preach. How can I preach without going to seminary first? He said, if God's called you to preach, you can preach. Well, what do I preach about? He said, preach what you know. I said, you know the only thing I know is golf. True story. He said, you go home and see what God says. I opened my Bible. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter ye, Jesus' words, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. I knew if Jesus had been talking to me, he would have said, Play in the fairway. For wide and broad is the rough that leads to the destruction of your golf scores. And many there be which play therein, because straight and narrow is the fairway that leads to good golf scores. And few there be that find it. <laughs> but the little light was going on. He is the straight and narrow way. He is God's one and only way to heaven.
He's the way and the truth and the life. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We studied that in John chapter 1, verse 14. Grace and truth go together. We have to have the grace of God to realize the truth of God. The truth of God about us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God showed his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I am the way, the truth about you, the truth about God, and the life I am the life. John 10, 10, we studied that too. The thief, Satan, has come to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Let not your heart be troubled. Every day, every hour, each and every one of us must make a choice. Am I going to listen to Satan's voice who's come to steal and kill and destroy that I might walk with this troubled heart? Or am I going to listen to Jesus' voice who's come that I might have life and have it more abundantly? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And when the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I read this week from an article on my iPhone about a study that had been done of 960 people and how six out of ten of those people had nothing to say about what the last hours of their life would be like. They didn't know. 350-something of them wouldn't even answer so much as one question about it. It was all dark to them. But there wasn't anything in the study about knowing Jesus. I will always remember our mother and her last hours. She had, she was 84. She had lost eyesight. She couldn't get around. A lot to say about that, but she broke a hip. She was in the hospital. She was in a coma. She woke up. And she prayed. For everyone in our family by name. That's a bunch. She prayed for all of us by name. And she prayed, Lord, bless all the children of the world. And she said, this is my last prayer. My last cognizant thought. And she closed her eyes and a little bit later she was in heaven. That's what it's like when you know him and know where you're going. And that's what it can be like for you because of Jesus. That's what he came to give you. 
He came to deliver you from this troubled world where you're always being pulled down. He's come to set you free. I've heard a lot of times in my life that somebody can be so heavenly minded that there are no earthly good. I've never met one person like that. But I know that in all of our lives, we can literally be so earthly minded that we're of no heavenly good. That's the part, part, the point from which we must repent. Will you hear him? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And whither I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Folks, if there could have been any other way, God would not have sent his son to die for us. But there was no other way, so he loved us enough to send him. And he won that victory for us on that cross and in that resurrection. And he is coming again. Look to him and live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for meeting us in this place this morning. Whoever we are and whatever our sinfulness may be or have been, we thank you that because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we can always begin again. We thank you, Father, that the slave trader, who was at, time, at one time himself a slave, who lived in all the debauchery in which a man could live, that that man was saved. His name was John Newton, and he wrote Amazing Grace. And we get to sing of it, and we get to live it, all because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the victory that Christ has won in our behalf that we might come home to you in heaven, drawn by him to the place where he wants us. Thank you, Father, for meeting us in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.